West Square Board, West Square Board, now can list the West Square Board. West Square Board, West Square Board, now can list the West Square Board. Hey, this is Yasmin Bilkesi Brown. And this is Yasmin Metz Johnson. We are West Square Pod. Welcome back to the podcast. And today, we, apart from the interesting facts, we have a very interesting person who we'll introduce in a bit. So today's interesting fact is River Roquel is the longest river in Sierra Leone. Mm, okay, good to know. Yeah. So speaking of rivers and beaches, our very, very special guest has a great resort called Safel at Bore Beach, which I've stayed at. So no clout, no sponsor. This is an unbiased review, by the way. And um, it's very stunning. You have to check it out. Uh, what else can you say about this special person, Yes, He is an entrepreneur. He's done many great things in Sierra Leone. But I feel like we should let him introduce himself. To share, to share. So in the building, we have Mr. Morris Mara. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you guys, thank you for having me, it's great to be on your show, I've been excited to be interviewed on it, I've been following it, so I have to say you guys have been doing a fantastic job covering so many interesting stories and insights into our culture and our history and beauty in this country. Um, so yeah, I'm Maurice Mara, um, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I run a series of ventures in Sierra Leone. Um, both from the social enterprise angle to just straight business ventures. Um, so one of them is uh, Sensi Hub, Sensi Technology Hub. And what we do with Sensi Hub is look at building an entrepreneurial ecosystem in Sierra Leone in collaboration with development finance institutions um, like DFIDs and the GIZs. We work with them to try and come up with approaches to looking at um, developing entrepreneurships and impacting employment and helping people alleviate poverty in general. Um, so over the past four years in building Sensi and understanding these dynamics, we've uh, worked with over 15 to 20 international development partners in doing this work, uh, possibly impacted over 15,000 young people, um, invested uh, about a million five hundred um, of donor funds into the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Um, currently, we support about 100, uh, 136 entrepreneurs. Um, that have directly received funding from us and we're not looking at the impact they have on others. Um, that's just sort of the scale at which Sensi is operating. Sensi is not just Morris. Um, Sensi is a team of about 26 passionate young people that really believe in the cause that Sensi Hub represents. Um, outside of some of the entrepreneurship work that we do, we have a really... A great venue which you guys are at um, we try to kind of open it up as a resource center to our entrepreneurs as well as um, open it up as a space for creative expression for creative entrepreneurs so you see poetry nights you see musical people also at Sensi Hub um, the bedrock of what we do is technology and innovation so we build websites we support we build apps um, and all of this combined is what we call our ecosystem building business which is Sensi Hub Nice. The, um, yeah, um, it's a great space, and I really enjoy um, the way it's kind of morphed into Sierra Leone. Um, when I first came in 2014, in the middle of the Ebola crisis, and having this vision of what Sensi Hub could be, I never 
actually thought that it could have such an authentic grasp and really serve people who need it. Um, so for me, it's actually one of those uh, visionary ideas that you have that you don't really see a way of how it could have actually happen, and you set it up and it's come to being and it's actually having a great impact on everybody's lives that we work with. Um, so that's a great space to be as an entrepreneur and it's a great business to fight for as an entrepreneur. Um, that's not all about the profit and it's a lot about giving back and it's a lot about building your community. Definitely. You spoke briefly about when you came back and you mentioned um, it was during Ebola. Do you want to elaborate on what made you come back to Sierra Leone and uh, where you were before you were in Sierra Leone? Yeah, so um, I grew up in London. Um, I went to university school um, in London. Um, and around 2013, uh, 14, early 14, Ebola was breaking out. And um, I found myself also, I mean, as an entrepreneur in the music space, sort of having a lot of fun just being a London boy. But um, eventually I wanted to start looking at how I could find some sort of purpose to this sort of life of musician friends that I found myself in at the time. Um, you know, uh, there was not much that we would, I would do that I felt was, had meaning. I mean, music has meaning. I was in a great space with a lot of amazing musicians in a great time in London. Don't get me wrong, and I loved it, and it's still one of my greatest passions in life. But um, there, I, I spent seven years studying international development, um, you know, and then was, there was a kind of internal conflict in me at the time about um, whether or not it was great to turn my back on that kind of aspect of the k world. So um, then I started to think about um, you know uh, what can I do? So I started volunteering. I went to I, I rocked up at the High Commission in London, and I met a, a gentleman there that was a great guy called Obaite Lokamara, um, who was the head of Chancery. And I said to him, "Look, these are my qualifications. Um, I'm a great networker. I know the tech space. I go to lots of meetups. I studied tech and innovation and de international development. I said I could really help the embassy." look at how they can bring opportunities to Sierra Leone by doing networking events with, with them. So, you know, I was there for a couple of weeks and then Ebola happened and this is where it all started for me um, on my way back to Sierra Leone. Um, interestingly enough, you know, uh, we lacked major uh, capacity at the embassy at the time to really grasp how you could really bring the international community into a crisis from an embassy's perspective. Um, so, um, uh, you know, a few of us with the experiences, we're doing all we can to bring in international community into the space. And by, by chance, I, we were sitting at home one evening, one of my friends said, have you tried to contact the guy who discovered the Ebola virus? Um, and I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, we should, I would, when I get to the office tomorrow, I would use a right term. So I did. And he responded, his name is Peter Piot, Dr. Peter Piot, the guy who discovered the Ebola virus. So he responded and was like, hey, we've been looking for people to connect with that know about the country, especially the government. I mean, we, we got this idea, this great idea to um, bring the cure, um, to try and find a cure for this virus. Um, but we have, you know, vaccine trials and stuff. We have to really know the country. So I said, okay, um, 
I will rustle up a delegation from my side of the pond and, you know, come to meet your people and we can take it from there because I didn't know what mandate I had. So I went back to Obai and I said, look, the Ebola man wants to meet you guys. (laughs) And, and you know, so can we kind of like organize ourselves, you know, everybody find a nice suit, whatever, Um, convince the high commissioner at the time um, and said, hey, you know, we have to go meet this guy because nobody knows about this virus more than him. And if we want to help our people, this is the offer, you know. Um, and, and you know, so we, there we went. And, um, and he looked at sending me to Sierra Leone um, to kind of investigate and recce, understand. And that was the first time I came back in like 18 years. Wow. Um, so you can imagine for me leaving my country in a war, and then coming back in, in a war. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. that was interesting. And mm. there was this bittersweet moment of just singing the, the glow of the African sun at the sunset, but in the middle of the crisis, falling in love with that beauty and dealing with that beast at the same time that have come to define uh, our nation's personality over our lifetime as young people. Um, so there was just this desire then to just stick this out, you know. Um, so I helped Peter Piot set up the vaccine trials. Um, so uh, I brought him to Sierra Leone, um, introduced him to the president at the time, the press, everybody else, and I helped his team to set up their operations. And once they had the, 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 the they got up and running, I, I am not clinical enough to have stayed with the project. So I started to think about what I could do Beyond that, I didn't want to leave. Um, you know, um, I was paid well, I was supported well, I was connected in that space, but I didn't feel there was something you could walk away from at the time. It was, it became too real. Um, so yeah, then I was like, okay. Um, I took a job managing a bunch of hospitals with places like Masanga as their country representative. Masanga Hospital, that's the leprosy hospital. That was the set up in 1974 and it also just had a great cause to it so I, I ran that for a while with a bunch of color, um, colleagues from Holland um, and raised some money to start my own thing and this that became Sensi so Sensi was started in the middle of the Ebola crisis and it came up as a Sensi sensible sensible information about the Ebola crisis so the whole time I was working in the crisis I kind of was also sort of trying to understand what the challenges were. And um, for me, one of the biggest challenges were, was communication, um, inf- information in the right place at the right time. Um, of course, we have logistical challenges, but the proportion of disinformation and misunderstanding compared to the logistics that we didn't have in place, you couldn't compare them as to why we couldn't stop the spread at the time. So for me, I guess um, it made sense to try and kind of kind of come up with a bridge builder platform using tech and things like that um you know but of course when i started no one knew me and it was always like you walk into these meeting rooms um they were really really intimidating you have the unicefs you know a serious crisis time you know when you walk into like a big conference and are of like big players you know who unicef like you know who are you like you know so it was trying to sneak into like little consortium meetings without really having the validation and being scared of getting 
chucked out, but I wanted to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. You know, so I used to actually wait until after the introductions, because then I don't have to introduce myself. I could just come in because no one knew who Sensi was. So it was right. kind of like, if you go in when you're all like 15 people sitting in a committee about messaging mm-hmm. the nation or whatever, like community, communicating to the nation, you have to kind of introduce yourself. Good afternoon, my name is Morris. I'm from Sensi Hop. Good <laughs> and then people would be like, what? Who what? are you? Um, you know, um, so anyway, it was intimidating. But anyway, sort of try to kind of hang around meetings and take notes and try to understand the response from the national level. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, worked with a bunch of technology experts from Netherlands and got a system up based on all the research we've done about how People were funneling information to the whole country and where there are gaps. Um, a lot of challenges, but we got it up and running and we were messaging the nation okay, um, about uh, Ebola, what, how not to contract the virus, how to contract the virus, and that morphed into a much bigger role in, in the sense that I was now supporting, um, at the time his name was um, people like um, CDI Tunis who became Minister of Communication and Tourism, I think, in the last government. He was the head of communications at the National Ebola Response Centre at the time, so I was supporting him now to work with the British military and others to kind of understand communication, new media, and how we could use that as a significant tool in, the, in, in communicating in a, in a good way, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a collaborative way. So that's where Sensi started. And about three months in, it was self-funded. I was just doing all of this, like running off savings and stuff. Um, three months in, Diffid picked it up and said, oh, this is a great idea. Um, let's talk, meet this person, meet this advisor, meet that advisor kind of explain your concepts and then I was green-lighted and given, uh, I think about it was 100k um, to, to kind of scale it over six months. Um, so that's what we did, set up WhatsApp groups for communities to communicate. Post that, it, was, it made sense for us to kind of save some of our money at the time to set up a hub, an innovation hub, something that will become a good way for us to say innovation, technology can play important roles in these type parts of the world, in these spaces and can solve problems and can help young people be part of that change into the digital age. So that's kind of my whole comeback to Salon. It's why Sense is so important to me as a, as a, as a one of the businesses that I have here. Um, How long has Sense been running now? Sense has been running for four years. We opened in 2016. Okay. Um, officially January 2016. Okay. Um, and but we really piloted it you know, we're still building stuff in 15, we're still having small stuff, but I would say officially, you know, having all the paperwork in place, having all the right things, everything, some funding to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. It was 2016, January 2016, so we're four years in. Okay. Um, so it's it's matured, and mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's grown a lot, um, and it's done a lot in that four years, so we're always proud of, uh, you know, everybody knows Sensi from presidents to ministers to young kids in slums, so... It's a great sort of way to to look at what we do. Yeah, as you should be. A lot of us, like who were here during the um, Ebola virus um, epidemic, we saw the natural transgression and the um, progression of Sensi. So I have a two-in-one question for you, yeah. uh, Morris. So um, would you say that um, Sensi um, was a, a response to the Ebola um, epidemic from like 
um, your experience of coming back and working with the Ebola man, as you said. So you setting up the social enterprise it was more of like a response to kind of combat Ebola in your way yeah. in terms of new media and communication, which is good because like uh, since, um, Morris and I have talked a lot about like social entrepreneurship, him being mm-hmm. a serial mm-hmm. entrepreneur, and like we talk about like solving solutions through entrepreneurship, which is very important. Um, what other um, ventures would you talk about that help other young people you think that they could use um, to solve issues but also get money as well? Yeah, I mean, again, with the funds that we, had, uh, we, we have had to offer in the country, um, we've always kind of wanted to keep that principle of we need people who are solving problems mm-hmm. with their businesses. These are the people who want to help. Um, because these are people that are that are innovators, that are thinking about new ideas to existing problems. Um, so, you know, for example, we had the Firestarter Fund that had that ethics running through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was 26 to 30 entrepreneurs over two years, 300 of... Four hundred thousand pounds. Shameless plug. Ori was one of the recipients of the yes, Firestarter exactly. grant. You were one of them. <laughs> I was trying to plug that in. I was going to say, and I said, you know, that's not even my my Obviously, place to say. Obviously, I have to plug it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So that with that fund, I think we were looking at people like yourselves who were Absolutely. taking on that were looking at local products, um, helping value chains, and kind of really clear brand um, that's emanating from Sierra Leone. So, mm. um, yeah, but I think other se- there's a, a wide range of sectors. I, I really like seeing people who are pushing the boundaries in agriculture and, like, uh, looking at making Sierra Leone a product-driven mm-hmm. country. Um, we're doing a really interesting project at the moment with GIZ. Okay. Um, that's really fascinating to me specifically because it's looking at uh, adding value to people's uh, 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 micro enterprises and entrepreneurs' uh, businesses in a way that is ending up with a product that okay. is different to what they were already doing. Okay. So, for example, if you're dealing with a cashew farmer, who would usually just get that cashew patch it or and, and sell it, like a small scale cashew farming, then we'll start getting them to make paste. Yeah. And, get it to put in a container of this type and brand it properly. So we provide all the machinery, we provide all the the tools, the ingredients that they would need to become that kind of entrepreneur. Mm. And then we then observe what value that adds and enables them to create more jobs. Mm-hmm. So when we're doing it with somebody that is like a cassava farmer, for example, you transform the game for them because they might harvest the root cassava True. and just sell in the market for 5,000 euros. Mm-hmm. But when he turns it into this amazing powder or meal, then he starts to talk about exporting it. Then he starts talking about like supermarkets stocking it, and it changes the game because they have that big meal that we've now bought them, and um, they have all the other sort of branding packaging materials to be able to do that. Um, so at the moment, we're supporting about ninety businesses in six districts doing that, working okay. with the German government. So that project is really exciting for me to see a generation of entrepreneurs coming through, mm-hmm. um, especially from the rural areas, and seeing how this, it's not easy. We're not, you know, cautious optimism about uh, the market for them and all that kind of stuff and success and whether people have the energy to stick to it. But it's a broad sector. So we're working with people in tourism. We're working with people who are creating products in 
renewable energy, um, farming. Um, but the, the sector I'm most excited about is the agricultural sector um, because I, you know, um, I, I really think that we have more land than we have people. So there's a lot of value in the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think we can be a Rwanda where 80% of our economy runs on agriculture and agri- yeah, agriculture. One day. One day. So, um, because they're similar, similar uh, demography to us. Yeah, um, but they really learn how to make use of the land. I mean, trust me, I'm also a Fritonian, a Ceylonian. I'm really excited about diamonds all the time. I'm excited about gold. I like these things that... Um, we're cost with here, but like, um, I, I, I don't think there could be our own way out of poverty um, because all. they're not sustainable, they fluctuate, and and it also, almost it's just like it makes sense why don't we invest more into agriculture? Like Morris said, we have the land, and I just don't think we're doing enough in terms of agriculture. I wanted to ask you, um, in terms of agriculture, was it just when you came to Sierra Leone? You, um, got an interest in it or have you always been into yeah I mean I'm, I'm, my parents are from Kabala um, my ancestry is uh, Koinadugu district Kabala okay. and um, that's a farming district so all which my, is in the north of Sierra Leone in the north of Sierra Leone um, so my entire family were raised on farming um, oh, and agriculture. Okay. So um, naturally, for me, uh, as you know, it's one of my yeah, you're going back to your roots. Yeah, then. <laughs> one of my businesses now is a, it's a, go, it's a, it's a, it's a farm, uh-huh. a cacao, uh, a cacao farm and a forest retreat too. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's farming is for me. It's in my in my blood. And I always wanted to kind of do something. And in fact, the farm that I'm running, I inherited from my father, um, who started growing a bunch of stuff in there. And I brought in the whole cash crop angle. So I grow cacao, coffee, and cashew, um, and intercropped with a lot of other stuff like plantains, mangoes, guavas, and stuff like that, and 180 acres forest land. But I really did that because... You know, I'm really passionate about the environment and what we're doing to it. I wanted to protect the forest. Um, so uh, naturally people said, uh, oh, you know, you can't really grow cocoa in the north. It always grows in, grows in the south. But um, I kind of worked with some specialists from India and Ivory Coast that did some tests and kind of said, Oh come on! This is a natural habitat for cacao and cash crops. Like, oh, in fact, okay. it's when there's amazing. a will, there's a way. You know? Yeah, yes. I mean, it's just really? sometimes you meet, you get to these villages, and you get these myths about you know, that's not really tested. Um, and I think as young people, we have to test, especially Absolutely. in Africa, we have to test custom, we have to test culture, we have to push back because we grow up in big man culture. We grow up in we respect culture, we love culture, but at the same time, it suppresses youth. Um, you know, it really suppresses youths and it's responsible for a lot of young people's um, disempowerment. Yeah, great. Um, so I think um, we have to learn how to get around the customs, barriers, and frameworks that are often the, the outdoor challenges to successful entrepreneurship or successful people being Or just free. critical thinking in general. Yeah. I mean, critical thinking yeah. applies. Um, and ultimately, entrepreneurs just need to not take... Uh, no for an answer mm-hmm. um, and if you go somewhere and people tell you this yeah listen but try to get the facts I mean for me with the farm um, I've had my ups and downs um, it's a big 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 farm um, 
but it's for it's three and a half years in. Okay. Um, so maybe in a couple of years time, I'll start to produce cacao, and okay. that would, you know, and everybody in this village of about a thousand people, they've just been watching me piling things in, like you know, in and out of the farm, just looking at me, thinking this boy is right. stupid. <laughs> Why does he just grow vegetables yeah. like we've been doing for years? Um, but you know, they don't get the long term investment yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So the way I looked at it, they don't get like because they have to. It's such a poor district that they have to. So they, they plant things that can grow in two months and six months and That's you it. know quickly sell it. So it's a it's one of the it's the breadbasket of the country for vegetables and stuff. I love I love I love um farming in that sense, so it's in the roots. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You've made so many investments in terms of your different businesses, but what have you found the most challenging about doing business in Sierra Leone? Just about to ask. <laughs> Yeah, what are the uh, that's a, that's a tough one. I can mm. give you like a Sierra Leonean answer to it, <laughs> or I could give you like a entrepreneurial answer from give a us sort both. of. Yeah, give um, And that's with everything, not just like the you know, yeah, as well, yeah. Like, I, I'm trying to find a, a most constructive way to come across with this without getting angry and stuff. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what I've, it's really challenging to 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 kind of understand. Um, so from a, a, a kind of a legal uh, sort of international standards perspective from a government side of things, it's the regulations all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, taxes all over the place, all over the place, and they're really high. Right. Employment laws all over the place, and it's really, really weird. Um, so all of that stuff is not working for us as entrepreneurs, um, and I think everybody recognizes that and everybody there's a lot of people trying to um, especially what I'm seeing now mm-hmm. trying to kind of work on these things you know so we can register businesses in no time right. it's clear what you have to do you can go to one place and do everything right. no one knows mind. everything nothing's yeah. published so as an entrepreneur that wants to kind of make sure you're doing the right things it can really confuse it's you hard, yeah. and, and it can be really challenging to get off the ground and knowing what where you can get things done like mm-hmm. you can if you if you're a techie you come up with a new tech right the intellectual property rights are stupid you know? we still function on colonial law so in that sense it's really challenging i was just mm-hmm. about to say when you say that regulations are all over the place do you mean like they're not there or they're just outdated like the, the, they haven't yeah, been updated yeah uh, 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 one um they most of them are outdated like patenting law for example in sierra leone it's really outdated. You have to really go to the UK and get something. It's like um, one of our uh, grantees, uh, Wangu, we're looking into it for him, and it just turned into this. It's really expensive because what it involves like sending your documents elsewhere. Wow. wow. Um, and I mean, any all, all of this intellectual property rights stuff needs to yeah, be updated. updated. Um, and then some stuff is just there, but it just not you don't know who does what and where oh, you go yeah. or when you go there will be such a long winded administration process to mm-hmm. do simple things um, so that just means that we've got still got one leg in the past because like, we still function like a colonial administration in, mm-hmm. in the in terms of the internal organs of government yep. um, and then on some aspects we've got like a really modernizing phase like corporate affairs commission ministry of finance but really internally how they work if you were a businessman engaging them it could be super challenging to get anything done quicker right. and more effectively um, I've been the kind of entrepreneur that's building things 
So building a recycling factory, building a forest retreat, building a, a resort, you know. Um, so in that sense, I found it really challenging building things in this kind of country mm-hmm. because sourcing everything has been difficult. Mobilizing talent has been difficult. Um, like Safu Resort, for example, that mm. it's, that nearly killed me because it was just mm, such a I difficult remember. experience to build that and, and with the stress and everything because it, it was by far the heaviest uh, financial investments I've made. Um, time, energy, it, it took blood, sweat and tears to see what you saw at Safu and you know, I built things and they fell and picked them up and carried up again. I made roads, never really saw myself as an entrepreneur. I would be commandeering trucks and make, getting red dot and sourcing, haggling with the granite people in the, in the middle of quarries just to get decent amounts of mold of red dirt to throw on the road. Never saw myself as somebody that would get involved in the timber space, <laughs> kind of cutting down trees you never and sustainable. Really finish working, so, you, you know, um, yeah, exactly. So it's really challenging because also the talent in the in the, in this space is really really difficult. I mean, you know, our culture. So ultimately, Yasmin, the Sierra side, I don't get our culture. So for business and integrity and honesty, so mm-hmm. don't expect that here. Um, Because, you know, for everything I've done, I think people have probably, I feel, have taken at least 50% without me giving it to them. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I guess if you want to be successful, you really have to find a way for for that not to get to you. Mm -hmm. And and no matter how many checks and balances you put in place, you're still going to feel that sort of advantage and exploitation that is coming from your people. Yeah. Um, and, and at the same time, you've got to find a way to say it, that it's, this is just really coming from people being desperately poor. And, <coughs> and really, when you're dealing with entrepreneurs, you've got to kind of say, okay, when you're dealing with young pe- people working with you and working for you, you've got to see reasons as to why they did things. You're almost like a judge. You know, that's looking for intention instead of like, fuck you, you stole from me, you idiot. Like, mm. if you react like that every day, you're going to have a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Um, sooner or later, because it, it wouldn't stop. You, 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 you know, you, you remove John, Paul comes along, it does the same thing. You remove Peter, Peter comes along, and, and you know, uh, and the, the next one, it, it doesn't change. It's like mm. mentality and mindset in that sense. It's really difficult to deal with as a businessman here. Is, yeah. And we always talk about like um, the challenges that we face as entrepreneurs, as young people coming back. It is the mindset for sure. There's only so much you can go. And then also um, culture. What we tend to forget is that culture is human made. But like when it's convenient, oh, no, 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 so, so we can do it. That's mm. not how things are done. Mm. But then you said there's also this um, almost reactionary push and pull kind of thing. We're modern at some point. Like you'd have the latest gadgets, you know, uh, you're engaged in all these tech apps. But then the way in doing things is very colonial as well. So we have that paradox. And we hope that like-minded people, entrepreneurs who are solving social issues can also kind of bridge that gap between being stuck in the past and culture. We can move forward with our culture. So that's also a very interesting observation. So I have one last question for you, Asda. So apart from the setbacks, what are your three keys to success, you'd say, to survive a Union ecosystem such as our own? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to have a thick skin as an entrepreneur um, in Sierra Leone. And um, 
you know, and uh, you have to really, really, in that thick skin process, be focused, you know, and um, don't be distracted, um, you know, and ultimately, um, there's a lot of opportunities here in the problems, despite whatever we're doing, mm-hmm. and find something you're passionate about and something you care about, um, and, and, and then give that 100% and don't give up. Um, you know, um, I, I think ultimately it will pay off if you if you if you go about it in the right way. Because people tell you don't give up, don't give up, but it doesn't mean like just run and hit your head against the rock fifty times. No, like you just have to know how to organize yourself. I mean, um, most you have, you have to be passionate. But you know, to be passionate means the drive to do the right things, to be successful at something. It doesn't mean like aflahun. Like no, businessman, like right. oh, yeah. really so passionate, but then it's like all over the place, and it's like That's no, disgusting. you have to have acumen, you have to be organized. Mm-hmm. It needs to be method to your passionate madness. Um, and I find that if and most entrepreneurs organize themselves here and take their time to build businesses, um, um, and, get, and most importantly, I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to get acumen. What what it is business how to do business business acumen um the basics of business at least Mm -hmm. before you go into business um i think it would really help a lot of young people here that are trying to get business get into business Mm -hmm. because from what i'm seeing as a funder as a somebody who gives money to entrepreneurs i'm experiencing that with a lot of people um so I think that's one of the valuable things that people need to try and build the knowledge to do business and the, and the know-how. Mm-hmm. You know? I feel like everything always goes back to education. Like a lot of the podcast episodes that we've um, that we've recorded, it's mm. always like, oh, this is missing. But then it's like, well, education. Like for example, yeah, for example, uh, but not necessarily formal education. It could be informal, like a lot of people take yeah, business yeah. classes here. Not just mm-hmm. school. Right. But yeah. in general, just the Yeah, we, we, need to, we need to try and bring knowledge in, in, a, yeah. in a fast, uh, but well, yeah. credible and effective way. Mm-hmm. And this is the big challenge that the development world is grappling with in terms of how they help what you call the lion generation um, in Africa which mm-hmm. is the fastest rising generation that will potentially take over the world but are not educated. Um, so what so do you do? What, um, what yeah. Morris is saying is more people need to move back, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean sure. need I say We're more? Right, like, say We're no here. more. We, need to, we, we all need to come home. The mm-hmm. new scramble for Africa is happening, so come and take your piece. Yeah, I'm sure. I have one last question for you, Morris. Um, I just wanted to ask you, how do you go about navigating in a country that's not very pro-collaboration? A lot of the projects you do is on yeah. collaboration in general. As a businessman, you need to collaborate. Yeah. you need to work with suppliers for yeah. resorts. Yeah, you yeah. need to employ so staff. How, how do you work around that? Yeah, I mean, I should have said that's really one of the other difficult challenges <laughs> of doing business here. It's just for some reason we're just not a culture that sees ourselves as people that can come together mm. but do you and, think it's and, because and, and in some ways I mean in some ways to party and come together very yeah, well yeah, right? for, so for things that like, we shouldn't prioritize like yeah. you know parties well, like, stuff or enjoyment yeah honestly, but when it comes honestly. to like collaboration in business nope or projects it's yeah. like 
old man cover and yams. Right. Yeah, where yams white, it's not for cover right? right? Like, so no one knows what the success of someone else is doing, but um, why is someone successful? And, and I think the impact that has on society could be studied by anthropologists in a whole different way. Sure. But, um, 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 but the point is, it's, it's more, it's really difficult when people are so um, untrusty of the next person. Mm-hmm. They never really trust your intentions. And, and I think also, I mean, honestly, poverty has a lot to do with it. It makes yeah. us all edgy mm-hmm. because we're all trying to climb and we're all aspirational. Yeah. So, you know, um, the minute you set up something cool, you're worried that the next man, and you, you, you kind of get some sort of success in it. You're mm-hmm. worried about the next person finding, you know, they say, See, you know, I haven't had any idea today. We get idea, keep them. If you don't keep yeah. them, that person, that person exactly, will take that's- So it makes people kind of like when they even they're talking to you even you're at networking events everyone's just like yeah. oh yeah you do that yeah okay. <laughs> yeah that's why yeah, yeah, that's why good, good for you because, good for mm-hmm. you you know so there isn't no genuine like well done like you know yeah, um, everyone's yeah. just like hmm so how do people come to the resort now like hmm so what do you what kind of body you use like, uh, mm. you know I must this you know <laughs> you know so it's just like okay right um, but I have to say there are in the mix there were some great people who are genuinely like supportive and collaborative. Okay. And I mean for me, I, I, I set up a business that's about collaboration, since you have and bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And we've we've just not given up on that again, that 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 cultural setting, like we are not a culture that collaborates. So who's yeah. this guy talking about collaboration and openness as a fundamental key to success yeah, in the business absolutely. space. That's why I wanted um, to so ask. why shouldn't I talk about it? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's fine, sorry. Um, no, that's why I wanted to ask, is that because somebody actually tweeted this to me they said it's the lack of collaboration because everybody sees each other as competition because the market's so small or because we're a small uh, nation do you think it's because of that or it's just it's not I mean, within us I, I think culture it has to do a little bit with an inherent cultural practice that we have that stems maybe from the war and not trusting yeah, I think, yeah. um, kind of and, and each other but also it is to do with it being a small market there, mm-hmm. there's very few little spoils um, mm. to go for so um, you know um, but some sectors have no competition do you know what I mean you that find that true. one single owner that's doing water business is killing it you know what I mean then you find the one single owner that's figured out um, something that no one else has figured out is killing that's it true. you know but so I don't think like it's a market thing where there is like it's too small nah. this is more cultural this is more people show up for their tribes as opposed they'll show up for just anything like Sensio could be doing like the coolest events or whatever but like you wouldn't get the crowd as you you you, you necessarily should okay um but then someone else random because they know a lot of people that are cool with a lot of people from their stuff their own gatherings and that they're cool with they will all go to that person's thing right. you know um so it's 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 that sort of we're scared. We we're in little pockets and, and exist in little bubbles. We're secretive. We, yeah. you know, we're not show offy as much as people think in Africa. But there is a few people that will show up, but you just don't know, you know, how they're doing things or how where they're getting things from. Yeah. Um, I think that exists in human nature everywhere. It's just we can see it more here because again we are smaller, mm-hmm. we are poorer. We're the eighth poorest country in the world. Oh. Um, there isn't enough money to go around for everybody. There is a one percent that has money, but they really have money. Um, there is a, a rising middle class that's really aspirational. 
um, you know, trying to get new things into their lives as they yeah. as they're earning more money. So, you know, collaboration is is gonna take time. But once uh, I feel like we we settle with growth mm-hmm. um, as a nation and deal with some of the fundamental issues we have that drives that driving poverty, I think we can begin to be confident in ourselves and begin to have the empowerment to feel open. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this openness that needs to happen for people to just really share and accept and, and, and be vulnerable and, and, and not scared that sharing or being open is, is vulnerability that would open you to attacks from others or taking away from your pie. So, you know, it's in this idea that you need to just be open. It's not, and don't be scared of that vulnerability that comes with that because there's a lot of opportunities in collaboration and networking. Everything I've got in... Uh, in Sierra Leone or have done has come from networking, has come from meeting someone who knows someone and pushing myself to just, even if someone, uh, uh, you know, turns me away, I find a way to connect and, you know, and connect and connect. If I'm buying land for the beach, I need to go and meet all the headmans and, like, get involved in their little space, understand how they work. You know, Mm -hmm. that's networking, that's collaborating with young people and making things happen. So for me, I wouldn't function without that philosophy, you know, really employ people to not give up and not uh, don't be scared of opening up okay well I was going to ask you yeah, do you have any words to leave like uh, potential entrepreneurs I think you've said it yeah not being afraid of yeah. opening up and reaching out to others yeah that's great thanks so much for uh, having uh, well for letting us have you on the podcast Morris it's sure always great to chat to you guys it's always great it's always you've great. done Look so much you really have yes. amazing. a lot of people are going to benefit from this yeah it's it's a it's exciting time so you know and I would love to see you guys at Safo Resort soon yeah of course of course, of course. Yeah. Expect us. Of course. got your barbecue coming up exactly yeah. well that. yes take that time to plug your barbecue mm-hmm. and Morris to plug your socials all your socials all your ventures go yeah so that's very true so on the 29th of December I will be hosting a barbecue at Safo Resort the idea came about because at Slackfest I met a few of you guys and also I've been getting some DMs on socials like oh what to do in Sierra Leone this December and I think it'll be a great opportunity to network and just to meet with people who have made this move people that are from the diaspora they have moved to Sierra Leone and if you're thinking about doing the same thing then you can meet people there and yeah just have a good time and to see Southport of course nice so more so plug all the Sensi um, socials uh, Southport yeah so I mean the three main things I have to plug Sensi Hub you can find us on Facebook Instagram at Sensi Hub Sensi Tech Hub Sierra Leone um, Facebook, Twitter, we're all on the different social media spaces. The baby is Safo Resort. Um, Instagram at Safo Beach Resort. Um, website www.saforesort.com. Um, and then you have Mara Farms. Um, you know, again, www.marafarms.com. Um, that one is not necessarily on Facebook or Instagram yet, but soon coming. Um, but anything you want to connect with on the farm and find out what we're doing there, um, definitely get on the website and hit us, send us a message. Um, you know, it's beach season, it's December, so when you do come, make sure you get down to the beach and check out Safo Resort. Great. Okay, so I'll end with the Serenium proverb, which is push, push, they stop and wall, meaning pushing ends at the wall. I think... Um, Morris's interview just encompasses all of that, despite all the challenges, social, political, the ecosystem in general. He continued to push, which is yeah, it's like um, nevertheless he 
persisted. So, yeah, so kudos to uh, Morris. And thanks again for letting us have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye. So, as usual, you know where to find us, guys. So, uh, guys, for a pod. And we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, guys. Bye. West Square Pod, West Square Pod, Nagalisti West Square Pod. West Square Pod, West Square Pod, Nagalisti West Square Pod.